I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode 135 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I would like to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to say thank you to Carmen, Menezes, Cheney, Eli, Holly Golightly, Brittany Baldwin, Yaymaker, Gemma Wilkinson, Diego Silva, Void of Being, Adam Smart, Goldie Sunday, Megan Rose Thomas, Catherine Bishop, Jen McKears, Liberty Louvain, Jared Dicksucker Dixon, and look, you know what? If you've got a talent, if you've got a passion, lean into it, Jared. Mercedes Harbour, Paige, Anna Miller, Alexandra Elizabeth, and Jasmine Gonzalez. I'm really sorry if I messed up any of those names, but uh, I did my best. And just to remind people that Patreon is not currently active. What that means is there's no content being posted and subscriptions have been frozen. I can't stop people from signing up. So you can sign up for $5 to access all of the back catalogue of episodes, but there won't be any new content for a while. I'm hoping to be back posting on Patreon by September. I'm not sure if that will happen or not, but that's the plan. And I have a story for you this week. Now, it's taken me about two weeks to write this story, which is quite unusual for me when it comes to writing stories for episodes. It's not going to be as long as a story ordinarily would be because it's quite difficult to concentrate for long periods of time, as you can imagine. I'm also trying to figure out what the format of these episodes is going to be too. Uh, I know there's people that have been asking for more dynamism or more audience interaction in episodes. It's probably not going to happen at the moment. I just don't have the capacity to do it. Maybe at some point, but right now it's probably not going to happen. But I am enjoying the storytelling again, which is quite a nice break for me. I'm not entirely sure where the ad placement is going to be because usually it came after the film review. So I need to try and figure that out too. So if you've got an ad in the middle of the story, I do apologise. That's not going to be a permanent thing. I'll try and find the most natural place to put an ad and then figure it out as we go along. But our story this week, I'm actually really excited about this. This is something that I love to talk about. I'm hoping there's going to be a YouTube video to go along with it in the coming week. Uh, So let's get started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There are some mythological creatures that are so ingrained in society that we don't even think twice about dismissing them as folklore. We just accept that they are fairy tales, stories that feed our imagination and give children hope that life is just slightly more magical. They provide children with a fantasy of desirable otherness and a means to imagine living in another world. Mermaids have been the subject of lore in virtually all seafaring civilizations. 30,000 years ago, Stone Age people drew spindly stick figures with fish-shaped tails on cave walls, and we've been fascinated by them ever since. As children, we are told stories of beautiful creatures, women with long flowing hair and golden green tails. But the reality, or at least the regional stories, seem to be much different. In December, I was idly looking for stories when I found an article about the killer mermaids of Zimbabwe, and I thought it would be a tongue-in-cheek exploration of an obscure local belief or the misidentification of a known species. But that was not the case. In 2012, the building of a dam near Gokwe was halted because workers refused to continue out of a genuine fear of mermaids. They described these creatures as resembling humans with shockingly pale skin, black hair and fishtails, and these creatures were plaguing the building of the dam. People reported being attacked or chased by these beings, and there were also reports of locals going missing in the area. White workers from out of area were brought in as it was thought that they would be unaware of local superstitions and therefore unaffected by the mermaids. But they too left the job and refused to continue after several men reported seeing creatures in the dam that they just could not explain. It became such an issue that it was discussed publicly in Parliament, and it was agreed that local tribal chiefs would be called upon to appease these mermaids and allow for the construction to continue. This story fascinated me. I had assumed that sirens were just a fairy tale, but it would seem that they had real-world implications for real-world people, and perhaps weren't just the beautiful temptresses of legend. Initially, mermaids were reflective of the unknown dangers of water. What may look serene and beautiful can obscure extreme danger. The idea of mermaids being seductresses that tempted men to their death was really reflective of old Western Christian ideas about women's sin and lust that were popularised around the 12th century. Later, Christopher Columbus famously reported seeing three mermaids that were not as beautiful as he imagined. They would later be understood to be a family of manatees basking on a rock. But as you delve into the mermaid legend and lore from around the world, the stories become infinitely darker and much more disturbing. In Japan, Nanyo are a mythical creature more akin to the stuff of nightmares than a seductive siren. The Nangyo are generally thought to be more fish than human and have grotesque monkey-like faces. 
They often have long dark hair and may have human arms and claw-like talons at the end of their fingers. In the year 619, Ananya was captured and displayed in a tank in the court of the Empress for people to come and view as a curiosity. The Nanyo became a part of seafaring life, and rather than being objects of lust, they were seen as demonic entities, capable of cursing a whole village if harmed by humans, but also carried the promise of eternal youth if their skin was consumed. Fishermen reported the Nanyo cavorting alongside their boats, and some seafaring folk avoided the territory of the Nanyo altogether. People talked about grotesque creatures with fangs and claws and a prominent dorsal fin. Curiosity shows became hugely popular in the 18th and 19th century, and the biggest seller for these shows were mermaids. Just like in Japan in the year 619, people came from far and wide to catch a glimpse of the terrifying creatures that lurked in the deep. In reality, the mermaids that were on display were in fact ingenious fakes. They were so convincing that many scientists believed them to be proof of the folkloric beings. These fake mermaids were so expertly crafted that they ended up in museums all over the world being examined by the public and scientists alike. Japanese mermaids were serious business. But regardless of the dubious origins of these mermaid exhibits, there are still waves of stories and sightings of Nanyo that are worth exploring. It was 1943, and World War II was raging. In the key islands in Indonesia, there was a Japanese surveillance team. They were stationed on a small remote island that in any other circumstance would have been a paradise. It was warm, and the white sandy beaches were lapped by perfectly blue seas. Surveillance was seen as a key to the war effort, and despite the idyllic surroundings, all of the soldiers were always on high alert. It was on patrol one clear and calm night that chaos began. There were numerous lagoons dotted around the 555 square miles of the islands. A soldier was on patrol, always listening and scanning the area around him. His body registered what he saw before his brain did, and he felt his muscles tense and his finger clasped around the trigger of his gun. There was someone standing on the beach. He could see the silhouette clearly in the moonlight, emphasised by the white sand. He knew no one else was on patrol in the area, and their schedule was watertight. And the closer he got to this being, he realised that it was a child. There were children on the island, but the indigenous peoples generally kept to themselves. He blinked and shook his head slightly, but the child was still there. He sensed that the child was watching him approach and had probably seen him long before he had seen it. His mind raced with possibilities. Had the child somehow washed up there? Had they missed people on the island? Was it a child being used as a decoy? He paused, trying to weigh up the options and trying to make sense of what he was seeing. The more he looked, the more he felt his heart hammering in his chest faster and faster. It wasn't a child. It was crouched, like it was primed ready to sprint. 
The arms were long and thin and he could see the fingers flexing ever so slightly, revealing long pointed claws. In an instant the moon appeared from behind a cloud and the creature's face was illuminated. The face was vaguely human, but the mouth looked like that of a carp and the lips were curled back in an unintentional grimace displaying needle-like teeth. Despite all of his training, the soldier gasped and stumbled backwards in shock. The creature turned and lolloped into the water at a surprising speed, and the soldier was left alone panting on the calm beach. It wasn't an individual sighting from a lone soldier. As time went on, more and more sightings were reported to the sergeant and it was commonplace to see these bizarre creatures playing in lagoons across the island. They weren't seen in the open water, always in lagoons or basking in the sun on rocks or on beaches. One soldier watched a creature hunting, plucking a fish out of the water with its bare hands and ripping it apart with needle-like teeth, still alive and still wriggling. Another patrol heard a loud, raucous splashing coming from a lagoon and hacked through the undergrowth to see what could be causing such a racket. They watched from the undergrowth and saw a great disturbance in the lagoon. Something was flailing and splashing around. And then the water went still. They heard a slapping sound and watched a creature haul itself onto a rock. They noted that the creature was almost ape-like and lurched onto the rock, completely hairless, with a pinkish hue to its skin. They could see the long, sharp claws on its hands and feet, and the large, carp-like mouth. It was as though the creature sensed they were there and turned to face the men who were gaping on the shore. Its eyes were black and spaced far apart on its head. It rose on its hind legs, tilted its head back, and emitted a piercing, gurgling shriek. The shriek continued and the men knew that it was not a friendly sound. Suddenly they could see a dark shape darting through the clear water as another creature torpedoed towards them. Panicking, the men opened fire, shooting wildly into the water and towards the rock. And when the bullets ceased and the silence prevailed, the creatures were nowhere to be seen. The soldiers eventually approached the indigenous people of the islands. What were these creatures? And more importantly, were they a threat? The indigenous people of the islands were not remotely surprised by the questions. They had always lived alongside these creatures, and they were well aware of their ways. It was a creature they referred to as the Orang Ikan. They assured the Japanese soldiers that the creatures would keep to themselves, and although generally harmless, they were fiercely territorial. Every so often one of them would show up in a fishing net and the indigenous chiefs assured the soldiers that they would inform them if they caught one. The soldiers listened to the people of the islands and decided to avoid the creatures at all costs. But it also wasn't that easy. The islands were small. One soldier knelt down next to a lagoon, exhausted and hot, and splashed the cool water over his face. He felt that he was being watched and when he looked up, his eyes met the eyes of an orang I can. It was three feet away, watching him, half submerged in the water, causing the soldier to panic 
and shoot wildly into the lagoon. It wasn't long before the sergeant, Sergeant Horaba, received a message that he needed to visit the dwelling of a local chief. He obliged, but was not prepared for what he saw when he arrived. Laid out on the grass was the body of a creature. The creature had been found dead on a beach by the indigenous people. It was around five feet tall with reddish-brown hair. Its face was grotesque and somewhere between ape-like and human, but with a gaping mouth described as being like that of a carp. Its mouth was filled with teeth that were tiny, sharp and needle-like. Its fingers and toes were long and clawed and were webbed in between. The body was covered in patches of what appeared to be some sort of algae. Sergeant Horiba was dumbfounded. After his men had begun to report these creatures... He had seen them several times, but only at a distance, and he had still maintained that there had to be a reasonable explanation. A case of misidentification had led to some sort of hysteria, but he couldn't take his eyes off this creature, and the smell was an assault on the senses. Whatever this creature was, it was, or at least it had been, a real living being that was now decomposing. Horiba was deeply disturbed by the events on the island, as were his men. On his return to Japan, he set about getting the phenomena properly investigated. He urged his superiors, scientists, zoologists and anyone that would listen to go to the key islands and study these creatures. But no one listened, and no investigation was done. And Horiba became a laughingstock. So what happened on those islands? There are numerous theories that could explain the strange occurrences. Firstly, these soldiers were in an unfamiliar environment, under harsh conditions, and it's possible that the pressure and intensity of the situation, coupled with misidentification, caused the men to create a palpable monster on the island, like a real-world Lord of the Flies. Or is it possible that there is genuinely a creature living on the key islands that is, as yet, unidentified? And let's be clear here. These incidences of mermaids, or at least unknown aquatic creatures, are not limited to far-off remote islands. Stories of mermaids exist all over the world. In Ireland, the Merrows are a genus of fairy that live in the water, They are described as being human-like but hideous, with rows of needle-like pointed teeth, and are a great danger to mortal beings. They can traverse the waters incognito by wearing the skin of a seal. Selkies have a similar story, but the myth originated in the Hebrides of Scotland. Norway have the Finfolk, who steal humans away to become their slaves. France has the Melusine, whose likeness is on the Starbucks logo. And, rather oddly, in 1891, the mudflats of the Ohio River in Indiana became the centre of a mermaid frenzy. Creatures were sighted basking in the sunshine and frolicking in the water. They were described as having faces that were crossed between human and ape-like. They were hairless and had webbed hands and feet that ended in talons. They also had wide, fish-like mouths, with rows of sharp, needle-like teeth. Remarkably similar to the later sightings in the Key Islands, 
a newspaper report at the time stated that on the sandbar of the Ohio River, Indiana, reside two nondescript creatures horrible in appearance and habit. They are amphibious in nature and resemble in appearance huge lizards with human faces. When particularly submerged in the yellow waters of the Ohio, they are strangely like human beings. Of what species of animal they are, no one knows, for it is impossible to get near enough to them to judge correctly. The sandbar in question is at low tide covered with huge logs and stumps of trees known in the river vernacularly as snags. They have been deposited by the government snag boats engaged in keeping the channel clear. When the water is high enough to cover these snags, the creatures make their home among them. When the water recedes, they disappear into some unknown lair and wait for a rise. From indications, they appear to be carnivorous. Among the snags are to be found wagon loads of mussel shells, fish bones and other debris of animals. When the river goes down, these shells and other articles disappear, only to be succeeded by a fresh lot. This is evidence to those who have watched the coming and going of these strange things that they live upon such food. But after that, the sightings abruptly ended. There were a flurry of newspaper reports, and then nothing. Or maybe people just stopped reporting them. Either way, mudflats in Indiana are not somewhere that would ordinarily be associated with mermaids. But neither do we really imagine mermaids to be hideous aquatic goblins. So is it possible that mermaids do exist, but just aren't beautiful women who lure men off to their death? Rather, are they a creature that we haven't been able to identify yet, that exists in quiet, remote waters all over the world? Please do pop over to our Facebook group or LGS supergroup and let me know what you think. Do you think that mermaids are real? Or do you think it's all nonsense? I just, I just want them to be real. Okay, I just want them to be real. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. As always, the sources for all of the information that I got are in the description of this episode, the links to all the articles, etc. If you want to find out more about us, you can find out more about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I know it's, it's a little bit raw and rough and ready at the moment, but we're getting there. Thank you so much and we shall see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.